This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Put Joe Newberger on the spot. He's Global News Radio's legal expert from Newberger and Partners. Joe, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm great, John. How are you? Likewise, fine. Uh, you know, there are some things that I don't really understand, and you've got to help me now. I know we've sort of broached this in the past. There's a celebrated story, you know, the Joshua Boyle trial up in Ottawa. Right. This is the guy who came back from Afghanistan with his wife. They had been kidnapped by the Taliban. In a curious way, I guess he had to sit down with the prime minister, and the story sort of unraveled when his wife charged him with sexual assault, amongst other things. And so uh, while his court case has proceeded, she's apparently, as an alleged victim of a sexual assault, allowed to have a lawyer represent her rather than just the crown prosecuting the case against the defendant, her estranged husband. That's a new development, and I know you're not a fan of that. Yes, you do. I've been complaining about it on your show and then also been writing about it in, in social media. So this is related to, as I call them, the Gomeshi Amendments from our former Justice Minister, Ms. Wilson-Raybould, which is um, going to prove to be a massive problem for the prosecution of sexual assault cases rather than streamline it. So what happened is, for everybody to remember, because uh, an accused may seek to put in messages or communications between the parties about the subject matter of the offense or some other material, what the Justice Minister at the time did was amend the legislation so that any communication whatsoever and any record you seek from the complainant has to go through a vetting process. So you have to bring a formal motion to the court. And now the complainant in this type of application has the right to counsel, and that counsel has standing, and not only has standing, on a motion where you want to put in, it used to be called Section 276, so if, if you want to put in historical evidence about your relationship with the complainant or about these messages, the accused has to put in an affidavit. Guess what? The complainant's lawyer gets to cross-examine uh, the, the accused. And so we've now turned what would be a relatively straightforward but important process into a tri-party piece of litigation, which can be hijacked by the lawyer representing the complainant, and can lead to matters being strung out for days or weeks, delay cases, and frankly uh, prevents access to justice. It is a horrific amendment. Well, the idea, if I understand correctly, and Jody Wilson-Raybould as a justice minister uh, sought to protect women against being re-victimized when they're complaining of sexual assault. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't hold that back. But, but, the, but that presumes guilt. That's what disturbs me. This whole thing from the justice minister, and it, it pandered to an interest group who went out, you know, advocating that the sexual assault trials are not uh, accommodating victims of sexual abuse. The problem is, you know, we are assuming that anybody who's accused of that offense, anybody who's accused of that offense is guilty. And so if you don't want to re-victimize, then you're presuming that the individual who's testifying and complaining about this allegation was, in fact, the victim. It's, a, it's putting the cart before the horse, in my opinion. Well, let me ask you then, just a, a sort of attendant to that, Jody Wilson-Raybould. Some are saying there was ministerial overreach, too, whereas Justice Minister, uh, she decided that there had to be a different approach to crimes involving Indigenous peoples. How do you feel about that? Two tiers of justice? Yeah, I mean, she's clearly, she has certain interests which she wanted to pursue, and I agree. I mean, we have already very significant portions of the criminal code to assist uh, individuals of indigenous backgrounds with respect to sentencing, alternative ways of sentencing, rehabilitation, even housing, as we've heard in that other case, uh, you know, McClintock, where there are these uh, healing lodges. So there is 
a very robust system in place to assist indigenous individuals who find themselves in the criminal justice system and how to be dealt with. We don't need more. We just don't. Again, with Joseph Newberger, Global News Radio's legal expert, you know, when it comes to the law, in some cases, you know, there are people who are uh, victimized uh, by the justice system itself, wrongfully convicted. Uh, Global News actually uh, did a five-part series examining wrongful convictions and why they happened. It's kind of interesting because they found uh, through a nonprofit organization out of the states called the Innocence Project. Yeah. I think that was Barry Sheck's operation, wasn't it? He was part of that OJ trial? Part of it. That's correct, yes. Yeah. Uh, faulty eyewitness testimony is a contributing factor in about 70% of convictions that are overturned through DNA testing. So eyewitness testimony uh, is not that reliable. It's an excellent point, and I'm just literally in the middle of a murder case now where we're dealing with eyewitness evidence. And the reality is the the law in Canada is very clear that when you're dealing with eyewitness evidence, so it's a situation where uh, a person is not familiar with the assailant uh, or the suspect, so there's no familiarity. Uh, that type of evidence is extremely challenging um, because it, it, it is often uh, fraught with all sorts of frailties and uh, can easily ro- uh, lead to wrongful convictions. And that's because you know the way the human mind uh, stores and encodes information is really not something we understand, but people can uh, conflate what they have seen. It may get influenced by other things they did not have sufficient time to observe. It's very hard for the mind to take in all that information, and it does lead to significant uh, wrongful convictions. Yeah, How the mind works is fascinating because further to this five-part series by Global News on wrongful convictions, in more than 25% of cases where the individual was actually exonerated on the basis of DNA evidence, which is ironclad for the most part, yep. they gave a false confession. They actually confessed to something they did not do. And, and that's another brilliant topic that you raised because we've, we've seen it countless times in Canada and the United States that under excessive pressure leading over hours that can be early, you know, like between midnight and 7 a.m. when somebody's extremely tired, with you know, a barrage of questioning over a long period of time, individuals start to become almost captive to that process and somehow start to get mixed up and feel the, the need to sort of somehow cooperate or confess because they just want to get out of those oppressive circumstances. And the law is not as robust as it should be on oppressive interrogation, which, you know, frankly, if it's going on for a long period of time and the person's trying to resist, it can lead to false confessions. I'm not saying that this happens in every case. But it is a significant factor, as you've identified. Finally, I've got to ask, when it comes to the threshold of proving guilt, uh, this class action, or it's not a class action suit, but it's a lawsuit on behalf of uh, two Canadian families uh, in this uh, Boeing crash that happened in uh, Ethiopia just back in March and uh, killed all 157 on board. Brampton family uh, lost six members. A Hamilton-based man lost his wife and three young children. They're both suing now, uh, suing Boeing as well as the Federal Aviation Administration, uh, alleging that the regulator, in this case the FAA, enabled the plane's rush to market. Uh, How do you prove that? Well, uh, through discovery. So the lawyers will, once they commence in the lawsuit and and it's it's going forward, there will have to be documentary discovery. So the uh, airlines who are sued, as well as the... um, uh, the organization for sanctioning this, the uh, Federal Aviation Administration, will have to produce documents about uh, manufacturing of it, the software, what process went through for these planes to be um, 
to be authorized so that they could get into the air. So there's a number of ways that can occur. Plus, aside from documentary discovery, the plaintiffs will have opportunity to examine officials from the various defendants. And through that way, they can try and establish their case. It's going to be hard because both organizations are extremely, extremely well-funded, and they can bury you know, the plaintiffs uh, with all sorts of motions and put up lots of resistance to disclosure and questioning. But there is a method to do it through the litigation process, through these discovery mechanisms. Well, all right. And speaking of discovery, because Boeing has acknowledged that uh, the accidentally, uh, accidental firing of the software uh, based on bad censored data was a common link uh, in two accidents, the one that uh, happened in Malaysia six months prior. Acknowledgement, is that an admission of guilt? I think so, yeah. And, and, you know, let's look at it from another angle. Boeing is an extremely successful company, which by and large has produced, uh, you know, aircrafts which have flown in the air for decades and, and has done extremely well and has been very safe. So they have a reputation to protect. And if they go into complete defense mode, then that can ruin their reputation, ruin their share value, and, and, and therefore have a very serious detrimental impact on their future profitability. So in a case like this, it may be much, uh, much, much better of a tactic for them to own up to what was wrong, make the appropriate compensation to the parties who are aggrieved, and do the right thing, which is fix the problem so that nobody else has to face such a horrible tragedy again. Well, and funny you should mention that because the shareholders now have filed a lawsuit as well, accusing the company of defrauding them by concealing safety deficiencies in the plane. That's right. That's exactly what happened. So, you know, if the shareholders feel that the company and the directors have not acted in good faith and therefore has harmed their economic interest in the company, they become liable to the shareholders. All around, it's a bad thing. And, and it's bad because people fly, millions of people fly every day all around the world. We need safety. Um, and these companies need to be transparent and do everything they can to ensure our safety and their own protection of their own uh, reputation and integrity incredibly important. All right. Well, having you explain everything here all around, it's a good thing. Uh, Joe, I appreciate you coming on as usual. Uh, Continued success, and we'll talk down the road. Thank you so much, John. Have a great show and take care. Thank you. Joseph Newberger, Global News Radio's legal expert from Newberger and Partners. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.